1: i've got depression and adhd but i'm doing better since i'm medicated me i'm still not always sure whether i exist or what being a person is Hi, 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 (sighs) hi. That's me. I'm doing a brain breather again. My grandmother died this week. The day after Thanksgiving. It's the uh, day before yesterday for me right now. Or was it yesterday? My God. It was yesterday. My phone rang at 6.30 in the morning. And my dad told me that my grandma died. And I knew what he was going to say before he said it. Because it wasn't a big surprise. And it was 6.30 in the morning. I saw my grandmother a few months ago. It was the first scare that it was getting close, and my dad called everybody in the family and told everyone that it seemed like grandma was going to die soon and that um, we should come spend time with her if uh, that was a thing, you know, we wanted to do. She had dropped so low on her weight, she's not eating, things like that. Um, can't really walk, you know, those sorts of so we went, and uh, there was already quarantine stuff in effect, but it had hit sort of a lull and things were improving, it felt like. And we just, I don't know, we went, a few of us. We went to Chicago and spent time with my grandma. And I'm glad we did. Her spirits lifted a lot. She seemed to improve a lot over the few days. We got her to eat some food and start increasing her appetite. Set her on some medication that seemed to help And over the next few weeks, we would keep talking to her a few months and checking in, and it was always just lovely. And um, about a week ago, she started to get bad again and started to become nonverbal, and we just knew it was going to happen. She couldn't, she wouldn't eat it. The pictures my dad sent were scary. She just looked gone already. And I did get to have a sort of moment of closure, I guess, with her. I got to talk to her on the phone uh, on FaceTime a little bit and say, you know, I love you. And I did tell her not to be afraid and that she meant so much to us, to my life, and all my siblings, and uh, that I didn't know who it would be without her. Things like that. And she still, i she couldn't talk at that point. But she made some sounds that sounded and felt an awful lot like, I love you. I love you too. And I guess that's the most closure I've ever gotten to have with any loved one for the past that I've known that's passed. And I guess since I found out I've been pretty numb, I still feel kind of numb. I guess everyone has a different relationship with their grandma, I guess, that their grandparents, some people might not have that significant one, or, you know, it's there's this whole thing they say, the tragedy, uh, the, the death of an old man is not a tragedy, that's the quote, and I agree with that, I, these, my grandma lived a long, beautiful life, and she was very loving and good, and I don't know, her husband died about a year or so before, and we like to think that, Wherever she is. Oh, my dad likes to think very specifically. She's smiling down on us. That she's with my dad. It's warm. It's Florida. Maybe they're playing handball sometimes. He feels very confident that that's what's up. That they're together. And that's really beautiful, I think. That's a beautiful thought. And I feel quite confident that wherever she is is not as confusing and painful as this place probably had become. I still think all the time. I really came to redefine my thoughts on the subject um, about what uh, Mitchell Davis said in this podcast a long time ago, that he's not afraid of death uh, because he doesn't know where he was before he was born. He doesn't remember any of that, but he also doesn't remember it with any sort of fear or pain or dread. and He knows that wherever he was before, Is where he'll go after. And I think that's beautiful. I've been thinking a lot about that. And how it relates to depression. And the experience of not wanting to be alive. And I will say I think the feeling that I have when I start to ghost away. Is one... ...of a longing for sublimation. I always love that word, sublimation, that uh, turning of a solid into a gas, into a vapor. And I think sometimes why I like being high is it feels like you get closer to the loss of your earthly limits. That your mind gets freer of your ego and begins to join the cosmos, which... It's inherently a part of it joins with everything. You become much closer to that in certain intoxicated states. And uh, that's the longing that I think exists for somebody who has had suicidal ideation at some point or who just experiences depression regularly. Uh, At least me, I'm speaking for myself. Someone said once about suicide, you know, we were all raised, I was raised, I can't say we were all raised, but I was raised hearing a lot this uh, notion that suicide was cowardly. That's the cowards, the thing a cowards did. And um, that fucking sucks, that's a terrible way to look at things. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't think you're brave or cowardly uh, at all for suicide I think it's tragic and awful and uh I'd say pretty high percentage uh big mistake that that <laughs> yeah, say, probably say about a hundred percent you know there's some dispensations and there for some kind of humane I was thinking that about with my grandma I just didn't understand uh the last four f- three four five days of her life four days. When she couldn't eat anymore, and we we're asking, you know, what is what's going on? You know, what is what do they do now? What happens? You know, she's just at home. She's already, you know, hospice workers come through and stuff like that, and they're kind of like nothing. She doesn't seem to be in pain, and I, we give her some lorazepam to calm her down. But we don't. There's nothing to do. You just watch someone starve to death, <laughs> which is fucked, man so maybe you know the ending of uh life intentionally is like you know maybe that's the one time (laughs) where you're like come on man i don't know uh but i think uh i heard uh you know once about that um the notion of people who are Victims of suicide, and you know that don't kill yourself is true. You know it's something that you gotta fight against if you really have those bad thoughts and feelings. And it's um, you know, it's a lot of fucking pain someone has to be in to do that. And if someone's in that much pain, so much so that it outweighs. The fear and potential pain of death. You see you can see why that happens, and I think it's a massive tragedy to think about anybody being in that much pain. And I think that when things have gotten bad for me, it tends to I think be an expression of that same thought of you just if you dissociate more and sort of turn into a misty ghost and let your boundaries Loosen all up. The ones that hold you in as one being here. Then maybe you won't hurt so much. You could spread that out. And I always think that. You know people who seem enlightened. Like monks and. Whatever. (laughs) Extremely religious people. Gurus. People who have attained that. uh, Sort of nirvana. They always seem to have this kind of like. Equanimity. And. Equilibrium and um, peace, right? A a slowness to rise or fall to any sort of passion or instinct. A slowness to react um, or be reactionary rather. Often they have very fast abilities to react in the actual presence of their body because that's what they are. They're in the present moment so intensely. (coughs) And the feeling is that To me, their ego has been released enough that they can just exist. And part of that ego release means pain and anxiety and, you know, guilt and shame. Those things all go with it. And you get to rejoin the cosmos. You get to rejoin with whatever it is that we were before we were born. And you could somehow have this dual experience if you were enlightened of having that ego death while also existing in a body and it would be this perfect balance, this, just be this perfect being of spirit glowing out through your flesh. <clears throat> but barring that profound ability, sometimes you just want the discomfort to go away. So the dissociation and the sensation when you're really high of dissolving your ego into be among the everything feels really good. And I'd like to think that my grandma experienced something like that. That her old self, who was afraid and lonely increasingly, and distanced from the things that she loved, even her garden or the man she spent most of her life with, loving and caring for, and you know, I, I uh, then imagine, you know, it was it was pretty unpleasant to just lose really sense of control of your body, to be in your head, trying to talk, trying to say things with your mouth, and just wouldn't move. You get agitated. I can imagine that being very scary and unpleasant, and I like to imagine. That at some point that started to release just a personality and a sense of self that was dripping off you like you're getting out of the pool. Like water just sluicing off your body as you got out of the pool as your true self, your soul. Let go of who you were. That person who could be afraid and all that, you know? And I like to think that she is uh, remembers being my grandma Kay fondly the whole experience of being Kay from being a young girl on a farm in Minnesota to being my grandmother in an apartment outside Chicago I hope she remembers that fondly and with a lot of warmth and love and that she goes on to her next experience in infinity My grandma was a big part of my family, my life. She uh, had a fault, I think, of particularly doting on her first son, my dad. And I got some trickle-down effect by being her first grandson. And she loved and supported me wholeheartedly, no matter what. And my other siblings didn't all have that experience. And, um, I don't know. I don't remember having that experience with, uh, any other matriarchal figures, really. So it meant a lot to me. And the way my grandma cooked and interacted with food. I mean, my other side of the family, my mom, there's a ton of heritage of food from a lot of members of my family. But ultimately, I'm a sleeper when it comes to that. I'm my dad and my grandma, my grandma, the way she would cook. It was so pragmatic (laughs) and delicious. It was never fussy or pretentious. She'd play along (laughs) with whatever your dietary restriction was, whether it was vegetarianism or grass fed meat or whatever. And by play along, I mean, listen kindly and, um, and then just go about doing whatever she was going to do and tell you, yeah, it's that. She <laughs> grew up on a farm, man, but she didn't care. <laughs> when I was a kid, I remember I would say, I don't like it. My grandma made something to eat, and I said, I don't like it. And she very sternly looked at me, and she said, it's not your favorite? <laughs> it No. You don't say, I don't like it. You say, it's not my favorite. (laughs) I mean, Midwest. And that, uh, I still think about that all the time. It's not my favorite. (laughs) I'd get in trouble if I said I didn't like it. I don't know why that's so funny to me. I don't know why I've always remembered that memory so strongly. The sort of scolding, like furious, telling you to be nicer furiously thought like so i don't know it's that country thing where you're just like she told me once that i she cut her little brother's thumb off when they were kids on the farm my uncle jerry that they were just playing and digging in this tree and she had a hatchet she's digging on farm kids to the hatchet and she was chopping at the roots of this tree and she said to her brother, my uncle, well, great-uncle Jerry, he said, hey, move your thumb or I'm going to chop it off. And he just didn't. She goes, I'm going to do it. And he was like, no, you're not. So she did it. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it's hanging by a thread and they ran out of the house. And then the, the other part of the story is that apparently the family had some stuff called stick em salve when they were growing up. And it was supposed to be some, like, stuff that they traded with the native people there back in the family generations ago was this magic medical balm and uh that they just put it on my uncle jerry's thumb and it like just grew back on when i brought this up my dad said oh yeah stick himself like it was just a thing when he was a kid that was around you know and he's like we're gonna bottle that stuff we made billions of dollars i don't know weird midwestern witchcraft Minnesotans, you know? And uh, my grandma was just of that. Drink red wine with ice cubes. Which I fucking love. Two-buck Chuck. Didn't care. Her and my grandpa were handball players. when I met them nationally. Like nationally, they tour around and travel. And, as seniors, into their like older life. Handball. I remember her just in her goggles... With, this, uh, with gloves, the leather gloves of a handball player. Shorts and a polo shirt. One hand on her hip and the other one holding a light beer and a plastic cup. At some tournament in Florida somewhere. Just a competitor. Just so earnest. Standing like legs astra- like Like Wonder Woman. But more like hunched over like a boxer. One hand on the hip. One sip in this beer. Looking at you. See if you want to play. A wonderful woman. And I feel just so numb. I fucking hate having to figure out what grief is. My grandma said about grief, my other grandma actually, said, uh, you know, it's like stand with your back to the ocean. You never know when it's going to hit you, you know? It comes in waves. And uh, that seems true, coincided with, I don't know, coincided with, I mean, how naive am I fucking being one of the most important women in my life who raised me dies, and I'm like, oh, what a coincidence, they had a depressive episode, yeah, real fucking clever, hilarious, She's been feeling a lot of bad feelings. And uh, at some point earlier today, I was just laying on the floor and Allie was with me and she was being very sweet to me and trying to talk to me and stuff. And I'm just sitting there and it's just this feeling that you just can't leave your body. You can't leave. You can't look outside your body. You just can't leave this cage that you're in in your mind and your body. And... It is so heavy and exhausting, the feeling of your skin sinking into your bones and trapping you here and smothering you here. And I can't connect the thoughts in my head about self-improvement, the move in my body. I can't connect the intellectual memory of wanting to be a certain way to the present feeling in my limbs, my jaw and my neck. I could hardly move off the floor, and I just did cry a little bit then. And some reason I've become so fucking afraid of all those fucking feelings, and I tried to coax them a little, you know. You're like you feel the door cracks open a little, and I guess I used to feel like. My feelings were a little bit like uh, water behind a, a heavy trap door. You know, I just had to get, just crack it open a little, and then a little would start, and it would push through, and it all just come rushing out the door and bust itself open and out. You know, I used to think that. But now I feel like it's some kind of cat. You know, my feelings are some kind of wary street cat and i can look down the hill and see him looking back at me i can see my feelings watching me at night sometimes i'll shine a flashlight down the hill and i can see the reflection of my feelings eyes just those two shining eyes reflecting back in the darkness little spots of light my feelings on the hill. And I can coax them to me. I could try to be still and let them come sit down, come look closer at me. Maybe let me tap that pet them. <laughs> but um there's definitely no just trying to crack the door open unless they can pour out something's happened, my feelings. They've become very skittish. And maybe I just got so tired. Maybe that's part of what depression is. It's just making you tired so you don't have the strength to go chasing your feelings and trying to shove the door open and let them in. You're so tired. I don't know what to do to get you to come back. And then, so there you go. You get that street cat out there who's just watching you, your feelings, and thinking about maybe they'll come sit at your feet (sighs) I associate uh, the song Jesus loves you with my grandmother she was probably Lutheran some kind of Presbyterian you know Minnesota I have memories of being a small child sleeping over my grandma's house in the city and her actually singing to me before bed. Her and my mom would both do lullabies from time to time. And my grandma wasn't a great singer, but she would sing Jesus Loves You to me. Jesus loves thee, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And, um... The chorus, you know, where she'll go, Yes, Jesus loves me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jesus loves me. Um and along with my weird history of religious shit, I don't know, for some reason, I don't even know. I, I I thought I asked my siblings about this but that song about hiding your light under a bushel. I associate that with her as well. And it might just be the Jesus loves me thing and that hide it under a bushel. No. I'm gonna let it shine, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine, you know. Um, this little light of mine does a song. I used to that with my grandma as well, and I can't tell if that's a real memory or not. But I was thinking about that uh, light under the bushel thing a lot, just the previous week, the week of uh, Thanksgiving. Giving thanks right And this pandemic getting crazy And then my grandma dying. <sighs> I Can't go see her you know <laughs> Fucking COVID uh, Hiding your light under a bushel I had a couple days Maybe last week Where I felt really good I felt really silly And happy and fun You know And um, light And felt a little bit free Whatever my brain's been trapped in for so long. And it uh, was wonderful to feel like just goofing around online, making little... I was talking to Allie about making things on the internet and how they used to feel like uh, just trying to make your friends laugh at a party and something had happened or really corrupt that, you know, this sort of pure feeling experience and now it was like, Oh, you you build a brand, or what's your engagement, or you gotta do it, I don't know, it's fucking gross, just feels gross, it wasn't fun anymore, and, um, something in the conversation about that, and purpose in life, and what you're doing, and I was reflecting on the notion of even this, what I'm doing right now, some sense of, like, I love performing, you know, even if it's just, uh, me, I, like... Why do so many people in the world fear public speaking and fear uh, this sorts of things? And for some reason, ever since I was a child, I feel like more extant and less fucking worried about life and things like that if I'm in front of an audience versus if I'm just going through regular life. Why would my wires be crossed opposite that way? And then I got kind of sad about thinking, like, I mean, that's part of why I disappeared from doing this, you know? Just shame, a sense of shame that somehow this idea of, like, putting yourself out there, performing, quote, unquote, whatever. It's the the reason I don't (laughs) like actors a lot of the time, even though I love being one. It's like, felt like this thing you love got corrupted, and just people didn't understand it, and it's like... You just feel so shameful for just being a goofball, for doing any stupid thing. Like, what are you trying to get likes? What are you trying to be liked, you fucking loser? What's fucking wrong with you? Why do you think you're so special? Why do you think you should do that? You know, all these mean voices start in your head. And, um... It, like, made me very sad to think that uh I feel so uncomfortable and so unwell so much of the time. So confused and, uh... I guess, you know, just in pain for whatever stupid-ass reason about being alive. And that I had found this one thing when I was a kid, this, like, sort of making art, to sort of trying to honestly express the human experience and doing it in front of other people, especially, like, in theater, you know? It's almost a religious experience, really rooted in these, like, religious traditions. And how fucking sad that made me that uh, the only thing that made me feel, like, really normal or something like like i was at home was in in not just at home like at home on earth you know was like in these experiences and that i would take that from myself because of what it meant to other people or to the world or whatever and uh that song i was thinking about that song then the hide under a bushel no i'm gonna let it shine when i was younger and i was doing anything acting wise or art wise or whatever It never felt like I never had a second thought about trying to put it out there, you know? But trying to just do it It felt practically holy. It just uh, never felt like it was me. It felt like it was from another place. And you just had to make your body hollow to like sluice out this stuff that felt just divine to you. That felt like religious, magical. Just you had to do it, you know? It was holy. It was like cool to share this with other people like trying to make your friends laugh at a party and it turned into something else something like that just felt fucking needy and pathetic and stupid and embarrassing and just like what do you do? you know and i was like is that just depression i don't know but i was thinking about being trapped in my ego like that and i was thinking about that song you know hide it under a bushel now i'm gonna let it shine and that the light that that song has, you know, that it talks about, the point of that light is that it doesn't belong to you, you know, to hide that light under a bushel. It doesn't, you You got to let it shine. It's not even yours, not yours to hide. It's like you've been given this light. You're you're supposed to shepherd this light that's inside you. That That was like the message, you know, let it fucking shine, whatever you've been given. To share with everybody around you. It's a gift. And I guess I was just thinking I wanted to sort of say that and share that thought with more people. This thought, uh, because shit is so fucking sad. There's so much loss. There's so much misery. There's so much confusion and loneliness. The search for meaning is rather elusive, you know? Just so many people just hurting and hurting each other because of it. And, uh, and it just felt like a bare repeating that whatever your fucking light is that you got given, that thing that you've loved to do and be and experience and go through life as, like that thing must be expressed. It must not be hidden. It must, you it can't. It's like a crime to do it. And, uh, you know, that thought and something around that, I just really felt like a couple of days where I just felt like, damn, I'm back to just laughing and being silly, Billy, and not thinking about the consequences of that and just trying to put that out in the universe, you know? Yeah, I don't know. And then it was, I'd remember in the night I was laying in bed, going to bed, I felt all that heavy, like a blanket, physically, just fucking. Fall on top of me again. This the fear and the anxiety and the shame and like, what the fuck are you? Who are you? Who do you? Why? Why do you ever put anything out publicly ever? What the fuck is wrong with you? I just felt it all like just physically. I could say it. I could say it. it. Just came, you know, back the doubt. There it is. Fuck, I fucking hate this. You know. I think in uh, stereotypical masculine narratives, you know, heteronormative stuff, it's always that thing of like the confidence and swagger you remember as a young man, and how it's it's gone now. This doubt, and you hope that wisdom takes over in its place. But if you don't feel like you never got fucking wise about anything, you feel like you never really fucking did what you wanted to do, or I don't, you know, whatever. Just instead of wisdom, you get doubts. You just get doubt. So, I don't know. Wisdom keeps some men from doing the dumb shit of their youth that they lived without fear, but they just have more confidence now because they're wise. If you don't feel like you get wisdom, I feel like you get fucking doubt. And Now I don't do the things that my young self who I thought, you know, it didn't. I, he was probably so obnoxious, I don't know, but he didn't worry about it. And I know he did some nice stuff for some people sometimes. <laughs> and you're like, fuck. Who the fuck am I to be? ashamed or depressed or whatever Uh, the the gift I've been given you know to hide it Jesus loves you Jesus loves you my grandma would sing that to me (sighs) just a kind of numb little bit of crying earlier today on the floor and it felt nice Maybe that's why I couldn't keep going. Scratching the surface of something that I used to be able to just... There it was all the time, but it's a cat in the night now. I don't know if that's because of Prozac, and I don't know if that's because of getting older and more tired and getting more afraid. I don't know. I don't know if it's overwhelm. I don't know if the edges of it got numbed down and pushed away, sort of rubbed over and built over like scar tissue on your joints by all the other thoughts, all the knowledge that you mass about cruelty historically and politically and all the madness. I don't know. But I miss the feelings sometimes, often, and perhaps this is uh, partly my fault for hiding feelings under bushels and letting the bushels coagulate and stack up and connect to each other, get thicker and thicker until, you know, maybe you're light that you hide under the bushel. Maybe that's the cat on the hill. And you're like, please come back. Please. I don't want to feel you. I feel very fucking sad, I'm very tired. I regret. I miss my grandma. I'm going to miss my grandma. I'm relieved for her. I am. I am. It's full circle, I suppose. When I went to see her in September, I had to help her go to the bathroom, you know, and stuff like that, and help her clean up. And there was a moment that, uh, you know, obviously that's embarrassing, that's difficult to go through, I'm sure. And I remember my grandma said something to me like, you know, I was just commenting how strange it was or whatever. I do that. And I, uh, I said, you know, hey, you did it for me. Now I just get to return the favor. You know, when I was a baby, you did it for me. And it's uh, kind of beautiful to go all the way around and see that. I don't know. Closure, I don't know. My grandma was ready, I think. My dad said that a few nights before it happened, I remember, he told us that she said, I'm going to die. She knew, and I think she was ready to go through the door. Maybe that's it, you know, maybe that's why yeah, I know she was ready and it was better for her. I don't know. Makes me sad, though. I just felt so fucking tired the last couple of days. I made a cornflake salad. It's one of her funny Midwestern dishes she used to make. She would, uh... This is layered You grew up on a dairy farms layers of heavy whipped cream and cornflakes and uh coconut flakes and slices of oranges and pecans and I made that in like a parfait and uh ate it last night such a funny dish it was she made it, it was the only person I ever knew, so so her. I've been eating so much. I'm trying to numb a lot. I have no good conclusions here. I have nothing good here for this. Just helpless. All you can do is open your arms up to the fucking sky and look at it. Just wait and see if it gives you an answer for everything. I don't know. I don't know. Just the time keeps moving forward. A line of the people who made you evaporating. Sublimating, rejoining all things. A quarter of you, a quarter of your genetics, a quarter of them. Now you hold them. It's your siblings, too, some cousins, but you hold them. I love you, Grandma. I know you're well. I just know it. I know wherever you went is better than this. And you are with me. And you are with all the things I cook for other people to feed them and make them feel something good. What it's like to be just Rabidly, instantly loved and supported by someone. Someone who's always on your side. If you have someone in your life like that now, try to feel it now. Try to feel it now. And try to honor them by probably learning how to do it for yourself. How to love and support yourself immediately. How to fight for yourself. My grandma fought for herself she fought for herself my grandma did not want to stay where she was born she did not want to stay in her situation and she fought out she was a nurse at the University of Chicago Hospital for years and years and years she healed people and saved lives she had a good union job she was a leader she was tough she fought out of her life And she loved me for no reason. She was on my side always, immediately. Immediately, willing to help with anything. Be that for yourself. She was that for herself. Be that for yourself. What if you were your own grandma? What if now that she was gone, you had to do that job for her? What if now that she's gone, you have to love aggressively? And selflessly. What if that was a duty you had to carry on for your line? Amazing to think. Okay. Okay. I'm challenging myself to do a brain breather once a week for a while. Just to show up again here. I think it helps me, and I really like doing them, so I'm going to do them, and people can come for them, or they can leave them. My weird little live journal voice entries here, and I'm just going to fucking do them. Thank you for listening to my good bad brain. Be sure to self care and hydrate. Be well.